This is Dev Propulsion Labs, the podcast about building successful developer tools, hosted by Evil Martians. Hi, it's Dev Propulsion Labs, and I'm your host, Victoria Milnikova. Let me introduce today's guest. Please welcome Nikita Shomgunov, CEO at Neon and partner at Costa Ventures. So we have this huge achievements in the past. Nikita, how do you tend to introduce yourself when you first meet people and what are the achievements you highlight? Well, first of all, I'm excited to be here. And like, <laughs> it's not about achievements. I, I introduced by stating my name and in a formal environment, my current role as the CEO at Nian or in the fundraising context at Partner Ethos Adventures. So Nikita is one of those people that's really inspiring in the DevTools community, apart from being a high achieving kind of founder and CEO. He's also very active on Twitter and just a likable persona. Today, I want to go back in time a little bit and explore Nikita's past, his experience that led up to his current state. So I want to kind of like start with your journey at like Facebook and Microsoft, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about that, you know, time period in your life and how did you transition to leading startups like Single Store from working at big enterprise? What started my career really was, I think, programming competitions. I grew up in the 90s and the interesting phenomenon during that time in Soviet, well, it's not Soviet Union anymore, but Soviet Union fell apart. And the phenomenon was such that university professors had to moonlight and make additional income. And so my high school, which was somewhat connected to the local university, had the privilege of working with, you know, assistant professors or professors, and they would come to high school and teach math and computer science. So I think that was pretty important milestone in like just the, the high school development and development of the love towards math and computer science. I thought I'd be a mathematician, my bachelor's is in math. But I switched into computer science and what pulled me into that world was programming competitions. We participated in the student contest called ICPC, ACM ICPC, which is the largest collegiate programming competition. Very competitive, global. We managed to get to the finals twice and once we got a bronze medal. And so like once that competition career was over, I was looking around at what to do and then the best school in, in programming competitions was St. Petersburg ITMO. And so I emailed the dean of the computer science department, which is a tiny department, by the way. I think it's only like 30 or 40 students every year, but they're very, very capable. So I e emailed the dean of that department and got auto accepted. So I moved to St. Petersburg and started working on my PhD, working in parallel and, and after the graduation joined Microsoft. So then that started my tech career. I spent six years working on, the, on one of the most important products for the Microsoft portfolio at the time. Well, right now, the most important product is probably Azure. At the time, the most important product was Windows. But in the server tools, it was like a toss between actually Windows and SQL Server. So I was on the SQL Server team. And I remember, I think at some point, SQL Server exceeded the revenue of that of, of a Windows NT, which was really shocking for most of the Microsoft execs kind of grew up in Windows. Anyway, after that, I joined Facebook. I had a dilemma of going into business school or move down to California and see how tech businesses are born and grown. 
I actually got admitted to the business school for UW, University of Washington, and quit in the first day. So I walked in, everybody was sharing their story of why they're in the business school. And after we went around the table, I was like, I don't want to be here. And instead I took an offer from Facebook, moved down to California. By that time, I was all inspired by Paul Graham essays. Mm -hmm. And one of the points Paul Graham makes is you got to move to the center of whatever you're interested in. So if you're interested in apps and you got to be in Hollywood, finance in New York, but if you want to be in tech, you got to be in the Bay Area. So I joined Facebook thinking that over time, I'll build a network as in like make a bunch of friends and we will eventually start a company. But then turned out that happened sooner rather than later. And then about six, maybe even four months, we got into Y Combinator. I got to meet Fulgram in person and we started working on Mensipo. That's kind of like the dream come true. I mean, Paul Graham is a huge inspiration for many, especially, you know, for YC grads, of course. But I think that he has hugely influenced the way startup founders think. And I'm curious in that transition from enterprise to being a startup founder, what was the key culture difference and maybe, you know, difference in approach that you noticed? Well, I think there's a huge difference, right? The biggest difference is the sense of ownership and urgency. And that is striking because, you know, when you work for a big company, there is a big team and a lot of things are figured out for you by the machine. The machine is built and there are different parts of that machine. You know, one of that is like HR, right? You know, like somebody else hires all the engineers, you know, you like participate in the interviews, but like somebody's doing all that, that works for you, but it could also be, well, you know, there is a test subsystem, like in databases, testing is like its own thing because quality is extremely important. And then there's like a whole team there at Microsoft and the, the infrastructure. And then you walk in, there's nothing, right? So in the previous place, the building is built. And then in the new place, there's not even a foundation. There's nothing. And the amount of work that needs to be put into building that building is is just enormous. And walking in, you don't even realize how much that is. And it's, it's a feature, it's not a bug. Because otherwise, you would never walk in. And then you come in and then quickly you realize how screwed you are, but you have a team. And so you're all in the same boat, so you're all screwed. And so you work really hard and building an airplane or building a parachute while you're dropping off a cliff. And that's a good metaphor because you kind of default dead. You raise a bit of money and you pay salaries to your friends, but that gives you a certain amount of runaway. So you need to build the play while you in that, you know, fixed amount of runaway. The way Silicon Valley works, you need to prove enough to raise the next round and that could be bigger if you can afford to have any bigger team, but then just keep building. And so that kind of stopped for 10 years. So that was an interesting, that was an interesting observation. Awesome. Can you share a little bit about your first sales? Because I know that you were more on the technical side, right? But somehow you you got your first customers at the meme sequel and then you were able to gather and integrate that feedback somehow. And then you guys found the product market fit. Can you walk us a little bit through those stages? Like how did it happen yeah. for you? The first sales were, you know, our investors helped. Actually, Gary Tan, who is the founder of Y Combinator, introduced us to a company that needed you know, scaling for their database workloads. That company is no more, but that sale was there, you know, and we 
closed our first $50,000 sale nine months into our existence. And that was great. That was great. In a way that set us up, you know, and after another one that happened, probably then we like worked really, really hard to retain that customer. We lost that customer in a few months because the technology wasn't ready, but we kept improving the technology. And then by summer we had another sale now for a distributed system. And then we raised additional capital. We made a springs to build it. A distributed system was not there. We built a distributed system very quickly. And once that was done, we hired a head of sales. And in a way that set our path towards a particular type of sale. It's called an enterprise sale where, you know, you identify relatively large customers with sophisticated problems and you have the solution for those problems. I think there's, you know, I can talk about this for a very, very long time. At Nian, I'm a lot more deliberate in the type of sale we're pursuing. And the kind of sale you're pursuing, and it kind of defines the type of company, the type of ICP, ideal customer profile, and it becomes part of the architecture of your company, actually. And so that set us on a particular path, which I think single star for the most part is today as well. So it's an enterprise company with enterprise technology, which is very well built and okay. addresses a number of pain points in large data problems. And then the way single store acquires its customers is through the enterprise sales process, which means you have a relatively small, you know, all things equal, consider, right, relatively small number of deals, but the deals are large. So it means the opposite. Nian's already exceeded the number of, of customers of single store, but boy, like single store has so much more revenue. That's not even, that's not even funny. So different strategies. And again, the customer that you're pursuing is part of the architecture of your company will define what the technology looks and feels. It will define what the team you're actually building. Yeah, it, it kind of changes a lot. I'm curious to learn about finding product market fit because many say that once you find it, it feels like a car or a wheel going down the slope. It meets the path of least resistance. Did you feel yeah. like you have product market fit from the get-go since you got like a first sales like so fast or was it like a switch when it happened and then you, you know, had to catch up? Um, at single star, I never felt that we go going downhill. Like mm -hmm. things got easier, but also the bar kept raising. So it always felt like we're pushing uphill because we would set very, very hard revenue goals in front of us. And then we push to go and, and achieve them. Nia's a little different. It feels easier, but the deal sizes are so small. So the challenges of pushing up market feels like, yeah. So I think we have more product market fit at Nian with a very low end of the market. Mm -hmm. I know we're running 200,000 databases now. So, so 200,000 people signed up and excited about using Nian. And then most of them are in the free tier. And then a portion of them are paid. We are going to be pushing up markets. So mm -hmm. from SMB to lower mid-market to, you know, mid-market, upper mid-market enterprise. I think every time you layer new cohort of users that are not the same as your previous ones, that will be feeling like you're going uphill because you're figuring mm -hmm. things out. And once you figure that out, that's a little bit of a, of a nice down, but it's like cycling, you know, when you cycle <laughs> and you cycle on the hills, most of the time, 
you're actually going uphill because you're so much slower going uphill. And then you zip through downhill and then you're climbing again. So most of the time you're climbing. Uh, until I started cycling, I didn't realize that. <laughs> so what are the, the biggest challenges as you climb up the hill? <laughs> what are the biggest challenges you face, whether with Neon? I mean, with Neon, you kind of touched on that. It's kind of like learning how to approach a new cohort of users, right? But for example, with single store, as you increased your ARR, what were the new challenges that you met? The challenges are always in front of you. And, you, you know, there are some of them are tactical, some of them are strategic. And then you sip through them and you set goals and you set goals and you can track those goals and like a process called OKRs. It actually doesn't matter how you track your goals, but like you need to set goals and hit those goals. And early on, when you just want to build something that people want and you need to be in that state for a few years, well, you know, the goals are extremely short, right? Mm -hmm. You know, next month, next week, next three months. And if somebody says like, what is your two-year roadmap? You're like laughing to this person's face. Cause like, yeah, are you kidding? The company is like year and a half old. I don't know what we're going to do in two years, but that horizon keeps increasing. I think at some points it's very healthy to track the performance of your company, at least on a quarterly basis. And what are the challenges is when you don't hit your goals. And when you don't hit your goals, and that could be revenue goals, hiring goals, marketing goals, user acquisition, like whatever, and you don't hit them, and then you need to adjust. So you either change the goalpost or you push really hard to achieve them. And when you decide to push really hard, and I give you an example, right? You know, the year is long. And every quarter in the enterprise sales world, half the deals are happening in the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. And then on the very last day of the quarter, a bunch of deals are happening. And you don't know if you're going to make the number until midnight of that last day of the quarter. And I was like, why is this happening? So annoying. But the reality is that the sales team, when they're working on large deals, sets expectations with the other party to when the deal should be closed party is also aware of the fact that we have an end of the quarter. It's kind of like the process is self-designed towards the deals closing on the last day. So, mm -hmm. so that's a little bit kind of nerve-wracking in general. That's, that's on the, um, that, that, that's on the like pure revenue side. But then, um, you know, there are things that we need to shift, ship, and then sometimes they don't ship. There are things that we need to, uh, people we need to hire, and sometimes we don't hire those people. And so, um, you know, driving that accountability through the organization is, is, is extremely important because if some part of the org is not performing, then it sets the low bar for the rest of the org. And while in the beginning, all you really care about engineering, uh, and then all you really care about is sales in addition to engineering, then the company grows up and everything needs to perform well. Um, uh, that's kind of one of the operating principles in a startup. Everything is important. So, you know, if you think something is not important, just don't do it uh, at all. Uh, but so you don't have those like poorly run things that tell the rest of the company that um, it's okay. It's okay to, to suck, basically. <laughs> so, um, you know, you, you, can't, you can't afford to suck anywhere in the company because of that, of that phenomenon. So everything needs to be important. And the way you talk it is OKRs 
And that's also highlights all sorts of dependencies, interdependencies that you have in your company um, that when people don't even realize exist. But then the first time, the first quarter you run it, by the end of it is like, oh, why did this not happen? Oh, because of this other team and that, that those things are in front of you. That's, that's very cool. I want to take, you know, a pause here because Neon is one of those companies uh, that stands out in the DevTools space because of its design. Uh, I, I'm not talking just about, you know, the, the product. I'm talking about the landing page. You know, I'm talking about positioning on social media. Uh, I know that you guys take it very seriously and, you know, it's visible uh, how much effort you put into that. And I want to kind of dig a little bit into that. Uh, a lot of people get inspired by companies like Superbase or Neon just because they're so fresh and exciting uh, in the space. What has inspired you guys to pay so much attention to design, to like brand identity, to positioning, and does it pay off? So we actually don't think internally that we're doing a great job. I think we're doing okay. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, we just hired a head of design that she will be, she'll, she'll, she'll be started on September 4th. Um, we work with a great brand company. So oftentimes when you build your website, uh, you know, you have an internal design team for your product. And then um, when you work on your website, oftentimes you get an agency. So that brand agency or design agency is called Pixel Points. It's in Europe. So I'll give a shout out for them. And then if you guys um, uh, wants to work with them, uh, you know, by all means, reach out. Um, uh, we are going through a redesign right now. Um, mm -hmm. Every time you do a redesign, you're risking, by the way. Uh, so, but I think um, the copy that we put on the website and was, was there in the, was placed there very de deliberately. Mm -hmm. It was placed to speak to an incredibly technical user who is in the know of modern cloud architectures. So it goes in the weeds, maybe a bit too much. Um, um, and of course, in the year since we launched the website, we launched the website July 1st, at, uh, you know, give or take last year. Um, we built a bunch of stuff and a lot of things is, is new. You know, for example, our AI effort is new and the world changed in a material way uh, since the last year. Uh, so we need to be highlighting those new things. Um, but anyway, the, the brand design came from Pixel Point um, in, you know, close collaboration with our team. Um, we'll keep iterating on it. And on the um, internal design, I'll give us like a six. And I want it to be a nine. Um, and so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll step up. Um, it, it, you know, Neon is a very systems company. So that systems core of separation of storage and compute, next generation storage, auto scaling, all of those things that lead for the database to be just a URL, um, has to have a systems foundation to it. Um, but then, um, it needs to be wrapped in a very beautiful package. Um, and I think the package is good, but it's not iPhone level yet. And we'll, we'll get there too. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah, from an outsider's perspective, I think you have a really strong brand identity. That's what it seems like and feels like. So I'm actually surprised to hear that you're not over the moon about your design, but, 
I guess we're our kind of like toughest judges. Um, well, I, it also tells you where there, uh, where the bar is, uh, for system level software, uh, right. Uh, you know, it's not very high. Um, I will give, um, uh, a shout out to our fiercest competitor to Superbase. They're doing a great job, uh, and they're inspiring us to compete. Um, you know, obviously we compete from a different angle. You know, we, we have, we're systems people, um, but they're the ones that are pushing us to be better. How do you compare your users to like Superbase users or Heroku Postgres users? Is it I the same the type of person? Roughly the same, um, yeah. you know, and the company's pursuing, you know, bottoms up to our market. Um, you know, um, us and Superbase and Heroku, we all running hundreds of, of thousands of, of databases now. I think Heroku might be in the millions. I think Heroku lost uh, its luster over time. Um, especially on the Postgres front, uh, and the, the world shifted, right? The world shifted towards, you know, serverless separation of storage and compute, um, towards auto scaling. And that is just not there. Um, and it takes a long time to build. And now those things will become commodity on the large cloud providers. So Google will launch their serverless, uh, offering. Someday Amazon has one on the AWS Aurora. Um, Microsoft will launch an offering um, on that front as well. Uh, and so that kind of like, I think Roku is not innovating fast enough. Mm -hmm. um, but from this standpoint of what kind of user we are going after, it's the same user. And the strategy is roughly the same of getting the low part of the market and then push a market. And take us a little bit back. What inspired the creation of Neon and why do you focus on serverless Postgres? So I thought about the idea for a very long time. And um, being a database person, that architecture in the cloud just makes sense. Uh, it, you know, it just makes too much sense, to be honest. Um, and um, I wanted to build it at single store, but it was off strategy for single store. So I kept sitting in that and thinking about it. I reached out to, to my friends who built AWS Aurora. Um, I knew that Aurora serverless took off. I knew that Aurora multi-master didn't. So I was like, ooh, that serverless is might be like that, that's critical base that, that what people want. And then you step back and then think about like, what's the most important thing in the cloud? Well, it's simplicity, time to value. Lots of tools, lots, lots of toys for people out there. Like which ones get you get going quicker and um, get you build apps faster. So I was sitting on this idea for a long time. And then when I joined Kosla, um, I uh, just walked in, I said, well, maybe we can incubate this company. And then uh, when, when I kind of like figured out where the bathroom is uh, inside Kosla Ventures, then had a little bit of a break during the winter break. Um, I basically put the kind of organized all the thoughts and it was relatively straightforward because the whole idea maze was already in the head, um, put together a team and we chart forward. Sounds pretty awesome. How did you go about building that team? Because I'm assuming you built it from scratch, right? Uh, right. how did you build a team that could sustain this rapid growth and like, you know, the vision that you had for it in mind? Right. Uh, so what, what the node says is the team you build is the company you build. 
not the other way, not the plan you build is the company you build. Um, you know, having the idea maze is good, you, you know, having um, kind of clarity of what you think you're going to do, because then the reality is going to show up and adjust those plans. But having the clarity, which is, which puts you into, um, you know, a multi-year journey is, is very useful. Um, but then the team is, is very important. And the foundation of this team is Postgres, is separation of storage and compute, and a cloud service. If you take that, um, then you kind of get a little bit better clarity of who should be on the founding team. And so um, I'm incredibly privileged to work with Heike and Stas um, that fill up the pieces of that DNA. Um, there was actually a third co-founder, um, uh, well, I guess fourth co-founder, third in addition to, you know, Stas and Heike or fourth in the total founding team. Um, that didn't work out, unfortunately, and, yeah. and we asked him to leave. Um, and then with a fifth co-founder that got too scared with the uncertainty of early or of figuring out things early on and, and self-selected out, um, which in a way is great, right? Because, um, you know, you want to work with people you can work closely with, you know, myself, Vicky and Stas turned out to be just the right DNA uh, to build Neon. And Vicky is a Postgres committer and Stas is a Postgres contributor, but much broader. So he understands storage compute, front-end cloud service. And Heike is incredibly deep in Postgres and Postgres storage, and actually Postgres compute as well. So he worked on, on Plum in the past. So um, that, that, that has proven to be the right DNA uh, for Nia. And the wrong DNA was there, that was there early on, self-selected out, which is, mm -hmm. um, which is great as well. What's the secret sauce? What is it that you guys do that makes Neon successful? Do you have like <laughs> a one thing that you, you can pick except for like being Postgres oriented? Maybe there is that one additional thing that you guys do that makes you stand out. Well, I think we just care a lot. Uh, and, um, and the team works very, very hard and fast, you know, the foundation is a sophisticated systems project. You know, the comparison of that would be like, I don't know, Snowflake or, or pure storage, um, you know, like a non-trivial technical effort to enable everything else. But then everything else needs to, uh, needs to work, needs to be consumable. And when, when we identify things, you, you need to fix them quickly. You know, identify problems, need to address them quickly. And so that's where, you know, caring helps and, and acting, you know, helps a ton. Uh, what's your vision for the future of Neon? I know that you said that it's really hard to, you know, plan for a couple of years in advance, but in, but in your ideal world. Um, we want to be the default posters in the cloud. And we understand that uh, databases are probably one of the, the, the last pieces of infrastructure. And I knew this 10 years ago, but it's sadly still the case where they're not built for developers per se. They're built for, uh, you know, IT, SRE, DevOps people. Um, and that's the, the way of consuming the database today. Um, and their consumerization uh, of, of that technology that needs to happen. And clouds are about simplicity. So, 
the vision of database as a URL, um, that's all you need to know really, um, is, is, is driving a good amount of adoption right now. And the vision is to just basically roll up, um, all the hostess usage in the world onto this platform. And all is, you know, a lofty goal, uh, because whoever owns Postgres owns the OLTP or operational database part of transactional processing. And that's a gigantic market. Um, but we are, um, you know, we started our journey and, and, and we're driving towards, towards that vision. As you kind of like chip away at that big goal as an engineer yourself, how do you kind of balance that passion for deep tech versus profitability and, you know, scaling? Cause I know that for engineering founders, well, founders with engineering background, sometimes it's a challenge to stop investing time and energy into technology and think about other things like sales and marketing, you know, and other yeah. important aspects of business. We're extremely commercially oriented, actually. So we, we, we care about our growth plans. Um, we are ahead of our growth plans for this year. We only introduced billing in April. Um, okay. We are ahead of our plans. Um, we have very ambitious goals for the next year. Um, we are ramping the, the company to achieve those goals. Um, and in terms of, it's not the profitability is the higher of it as, as of right now, is to get to the base of revenue um, as quickly as possible. Uh, because if the baseline of revenue, you know, is not measured, and I think that the threshold really is somewhere, you know, north of 20 million in run rate. Um, and you need to cross that, um, that path really quickly because otherwise it's too expensive to run a hardcore technology company. And once you hit like 30, 40 million, suddenly you find yourself as in, in a lot of optionality, uh, in terms of how big should your engineering team should be, how big your sales team should be. Like you have, you have options now. You can like constrain the size of your company and, and run it profitably. Um, but if you're, if your base is too small, you know, sub 10, sub 20, it's very hard to build a global business. Uh, because you just don't have the muscle. Mm -hmm. So if you want to build a, a thriving infrastructure SaaS business, you need to get yourself into a point where you can barrage through 10, 20, 40 million quickly. And then the, you're finding yourself in, in a much better world. And so everything that we do is, is focused on getting there and getting there quickly. Thank you. Uh, now a more personal question, I guess, how do you personally balance the role of a partner at Kosla while incubating Neon at the same time? Do you have any time management? Yeah, the tips? more visible Neon becomes, <laughs> the more often I get that question. Uh, so <laughs> is the longest shareholder of Neon. So we have a great relationship with, um, um, you know, Neon and Kosla. They're got, you know, very good friends and, and Neon will definitely reach for on the seed fund that put money into it. You know, venture is a leveraged profession and Nian opens up doors to places where, um, would be hard to get to, you know, uh, by purely being an, an, an investor. And so that creates an, an additional amount of learning and an additional amount of exposure 
for me as a coastal partner. And that contributes to the deal flow. Uh, so I'm still leading deals and I will continue leading deals um, for as long as possible. The flip side of that is also key. By looking at the world from the partner lens and by looking at deal flow, you see how the world's changing. And then you're finding opportunities from Ian that exist in this broader world to partner and to engage into. And third, as you run the company, you can provide a much accurate, more accurate operational advice to founders who are going through this for the first time. So I think those are kind of the three, the three pillars of, of operating and investing. And in the ideal world, they, they feed each other. Um, and, and make each one of those pillars stronger. Sounds like match made in heaven. It's pretty, it works, works out pretty perfectly. So this is bringing us to the final question. And this is kind of like a section that I keep in all my episodes. It's called warm fuzzies. And my question mm -hmm. is what makes you feel great about what you're doing right now? It's mostly like developers. Um, and that video from Steve Ballmer of, of the nineties, where he's jumping on stage and yelling developers, developers, developers kind of never gets old. Uh, so I'm just really passionate about the customers that are using Neon because they are developers and they're like me. So, um, they, they build apps and they write code. So, so that's one. And they want the one is the team. You know, we, we have a phenomenal team and, um, a lot of people on our team, um, you know, have this opportunity to build something from nothing. Um, and just seeing how incredibly hard they're working is, uh, is, is really inspiring to me. So I feel like I have the responsibility to, to make me successful, um, partially because of the great people who are at the company. So those are the things that really float my boats. Sounds great. Um, you have a chance to kind of give a shout out to whoever you want or whatever you want. And this is kind of like your space to give kudos or, you know, uh, direct people to, to go to neon.tech or whatever. On the team, I don't want to single out anybody in particular. I think the team is great. Um, uh, and then for all the developers out there, uh, go to neon.tech and just try, uh, take it for a spin. That's all awesome. I want to ask for, uh, because, you know, if it sucks, then don't use it. Uh, and if you <laughs> love it, please use it. Uh, and, um, I'm sure you, you'll like it. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for catching yet another episode of Dev Propulsion Labs. We at Evil Martians transform growth stage startups into unicorns, build developer tools, and create open source products. If your developer tool needs help with product design, development, or SRE, visit evilmartians.com slash devtools. See you in the next.